Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special bonus episode of what we are now dubbing Massive Month. I did hands. I don't know why. No one's going to see it. Um, but we are interviewing the four big creators in the Massive Verse, and we have a very special initiation for all of you with this one. Uh, but first, I have some guests, or I have some co-hosts who we need to introduce. Uh, first, banging his head against the desk is John. John, how you doing? I'm, I'm doing fine. Just uh, working on a concussion over here. <laughs> and we are returned with marty coming back to talk with our guest marty how you doing i'm doing great thanks appreciate you having me back of course we, we can't have a, a massive verse conversation without marty you are our walking wikipedia uh that's high uh high praise and uh, i don't know if i can i don't know if i can get there but i'll do my best <laughs> And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the man of the hour, the reason why we are here right now, it is the co-creator of Infernal Girl Red, Matt Groom. Matt, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. Pleasure is always to be here. It is our pleasure to have you, and we appreciate you taking the time. Um, the reason you are here is because you have started a, a new Kickstarter for mm -hmm. Infernal Girl Red Book 2, which yes. the last time you were here, we took the implication that there would be uh, a book too. Correctly, it stands out. It, the Kickstarter campaign is here and we are all in for it. I know Marty and I are already backing it. So thank you. Yeah, th yeah again, definitely. thank you. Thank you and Erica and everyone involved. Uh, Michael, Kyle, all, everyone. Uh, th this is just a wonderful cast of characters and I can't wait to dive into this. But uh, before we really dive into it, please, again, uh, let everyone know who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name's Matt Groom. I'm a comic writer. Uh, I co-created and write Infernal Girl Red, as mentioned. Uh, I did self-made from Image Comics as well with Eduardo Ferragato. I've done some work on Ultraman at Marvel, the Ultraman series, a series, as we have to call them. Uh, I, a little bit of work for DC. I did six issues of Mighty Morphin at Boom. Uh, I think that's it. There's some other stuff coming up we can talk about. Oh, yet, but, don't sell yourself uh, short. You also wrote one of those vignettes for the 30th anniversary issue. I did indeed do that. I did love that. Yes, for the 30th anniversary of Power Rangers, I did a short story about Alpha 5 and his life that was 10 pages long and covered 10,000 years. <laughs> it was fantastic. Thank uh, you. Always hitting those uh, those nostalgia bones for me with Power Rangers, and I just love what you and Melissa and Ryan and Kyle like. Weirdly enough, that you all of you are now working on Massive First projects. I mean, it's almost yeah. like it was planned. <laughs> it, well, I think it's more just our our common point of connection. You know, I think like Ryan and um, Kyle knew each other pre anything Power Rangers, but uh, the rest of us sort of met through through the brand and discovered you know our love of that world and how much we had in common. And when we started working on our own books, they were all sort of informed by Power Rangers, the greater and lesser extent, and our love for it. So I think there's that sort of like DNA all throughout the massive verse. And then the, the beginning introductory question we have, which last time you were working on some uh, Gunpla, so maybe it's still the same, but the, the first question we always ask is, what you doing? What are you doing away from work and things that you just do to like alleviate the stress in life? Uh, I mean... <laughs> very little <laughs> it might be why i'm so stressed <laughs> i try and get out and like have a big walk every day that's my current project but i i'm still going on the gunpla actually made a model kit of ninja for from uh my northern power rangers recently nice. that's cool um so that, that's my most recent model kit i'm still very like still very baby at it i do a bad job a lot of the time <laughs> i tried my first like spray painting of models mm. um a little while ago and it went so badly i was like you know what i don't think that's for me i think i'll just stick to <laughs> water decal stickers and um paddle lining but yeah experimenting what's your favorite kit you've put together so far oh i i just did the uh the main gundam from witch of mercury which from mercury which is the latest gundam season and i think that might be my favorite all of the the mechs from that season are just incredibly well designed and it turns out they're like really fun to build as well so fun to build they look the best on the shelf so i think yeah that's probably my my favorite very cool all right well let's let's get into uh the depths here uh marty let's let's start with you, you what's your first question for matt here oh, you're back on mute <laughs> 
technical difficulties. <laughs> this uh, your your new recording Hashtag platform user completely errors. screwing <laughs> me up. I, I thought oh, I thought yeah. he was just really thinking about a good question. So uh, yeah, so I, I guess I'll start with this. Right, uh, I want to talk about this little guy right here. It's part of my giveaway. It's a ten issue mini, or it's a ten like a ten page mini. Not very many people have read this thing. I know in other conversations that you've had with other interviews talking a little bit about book two and how it's going to go into certain things, we'll, we'll get into that as we go, but how much of the Ashcan variant is going to be adopted in book two or and how much of it is going to be kind of exclusive to the Kickstarter one? Because there's some, there's some good stuff in those 10 pages, there's like, there's a lot of good stuff. I'll leave it like that kind of shameless plug for my giveaway. And to, we can, we can do that to help Matt and, and, and the campaign and stuff like that for, for the second one. But how much of that is going to be adopted in book two versus kind of being exclusive and kind of on its own, like a little collector's item for fans? Um, in terms of like those specific pages themselves, I don't think we've made any firm decisions about if that's ever going to get reprinted in any other form at this stage. Um, I think it's probably safest to assume it's going to be exclusive to the Kickstarter, or at least for a long time. Um, but the the story content of it is, it's not going to be important in the sense that you had to have read it to enjoy book two. But I think if you have read the mini comic and you read book two, you're going to get a bit more out of it. It's certainly a, you know, it's the history of our world that we're building. Um, so for people who haven't read it, it's a short story set in the past when the previous Inferno Girl Raid was operating as a hero. And we get to see a little snapshot of that and the relationship that she had with her sort of crime fighting partner at the time. Um, and yeah, like the, the history of the world and the history of those characters, it's absolutely going to uh, be important as we move forward. So if you happen to read that Ashcan, you're definitely going to have a more robust understanding of, of those characters and those relationships. So how much of that is going to be, is there going to be any of it in book two or is it going to be picking up kind of completely different storyline with some of the backstory that we're going to get um, given that Inferno Girl Red is, is a legacy character? The specific events of the Ashcan won't be referenced necessarily, but the relationships at the core of it and that history is absolutely going to inform it. Um, the yeah, the history of this world is going to be very important in book two, and we'll definitely be getting more into that. Awesome! Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait to hear from the teaser you guys released with the Kickstarter, it seems like Thomas Park is going to be playing a, a pretty significant role. Um, I may be reading too much into this as a podcaster, speculator, fan, uh, but it seems like he's kind of, he, you guys are maybe setting him up for a Harry Osborne style character arc. Um, it, can you speak to where Thomas is as a character? Not necessarily diving into spoilers, obviously, but. Uh, well, you're definitely right. He's going to play a big part in book two um we actually got a little q a with erica going out out to our backers today um and in that erica mentioned that thomas is her favorite character from book two now and sort of the character that she's most excited people to sort of get to spend more time with um yeah it's very interesting to to say a harry osborne-esque relationship i think that there are shades of that but it's also gonna go in a very different direction. And I think even characters within the story are going to make certain assumptions about where Thomas is at and what he wants, and they're going to be proven incorrect. Um, but, you know, I guess to mild spoilers for book one, uh, but at the end of that, Thomas's dad dies and Cassia, our hero, is potentially responsible. You could certainly see it from that point of view. Um, so Thomas's life is turned upside down as we go into book two. Uh, but also he had a very strange and strained and specific relationship with his dad. Uh, and his dad was a very powerful, influential, important person. So there are going to be a lot of people who have 
an interest in what Thomas does next. And there are going to be a lot of people who are trying to push him in different directions uh, and where he ends up and the role that he has to play in the future of the city is definitely going to be a driving question in book two. Very cool. I, I hope there's a little twist where maybe everyone's going to start thinking he's Harry Osborne and then you're going to be like, nope, he's a hero or he's, he's on the side of good. I'm just, I'm, he's a good boy and I want him to keep being a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that very much. Um, so, so to kind of follow up on other characters that we have met um, in Supermassive, we teased that there will be other uh, I, I don't even know if I asked you this question before, um, but there will be other infernos. I don't know if they're necessarily Inferno Girl Reds um, or Inferno Girl Blue. Maybe gender is not important to how the infernos work, or maybe it is. Maybe that's something that you guys have decided is is integral to the role, um, which you can speak on uh, if you want to. But if mm-hmm. are the other infernos going to play a role in this? Are we setting? Are we going to kind of follow up on those breadcrumbs, or is that still going to be teased out a little bit? Yeah, not directly. We won't see the the full outcome and consequences of that just yet. Uh, we have some other balls in the air that we had to sort of get to first. Um, but also, uh, what's the best way to say this? Uh, there, we're always setting up future stories. I think, like, as you go into book two, you'll realize how much of book two was seeded in book one, even in ways you might not know. And the future will be similarly seeded in, in book two. Um, so, yeah, but we have, we've made very firm decisions about the nature of those people that you're talking about um, and how they operate and uh, what they're called, which uh, nobody knows yet. Um and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's something to look forward to in the future, but you'll absolutely, the groundwork will be laid in book two as we uh, also resolve some other big dangling threads. I was going to piggyback off of what kind of Josh was saying around that with the those characters that we got teased. And we know that in Supermassive, right, the timeline was well ahead of the, uh, the first timeline of IGR. So does book two get us back up to or beyond Superman? Like, where does this put the timeline in the scheme of, of things? Are, are we kind of closer if we're trying to think about like where the rest of the universe in Superman in the, you know, the supermassive world is, are we kind of closer now a little bit beyond supermassive one by the end of book two? Are we well beyond supermassive one by the end of book two? Cause I know that was part of the reason why, you know, Cassia didn't, you know, didn't make an appearance in, in the latest Supermassive, but we did get a tease with, you know, kind of that other bit. Um, for those that haven't read it, I don't really want to spoil it, but there was a little little tease at the end. What I'll say is that by the end of Infernal Go Red Book 2, you'll have an extremely specific understanding of where that all fits into the timeline. Um, I think you could make some sort of like inferred guesses right now, but by end of book two, you'll be like, okay, yeah, I, I understand exactly how this all fits together. So I have a, I have a more of a, a, a not quite as technical question. It's, it's more of a, a writing question. When you wrote uh, book one of Inferno Girl, did you already have plans for how everything was going to work together in book two and book three and like down the line, you already had the whole, whole Inferno Girl universe yeah. written out in your head? In in the broad strokes, um, I, I like to have a very good understanding of the history of the world and then also some extensive plans on where I want to go in the future. Uh, but with enough flexibility that as you go, you can discover things that, you know, surprise you as a writer and you want to chase down. Like you never want to be so rigid that you get bored and um, you just feel like you're just rolling out the machine, you know. But, yeah, like uh, – a lot of book two was in my mind as I was writing book one. And I certainly have uh, ideas about what the sort of the future of the whole thing is and what elements would be required there, which is why we're able to um, thread all of these elements in at the start. Uh, I think like, I definitely look at like the Chris Claremont run on X-Men structurally is very informative of being able to, 
place seeds that you know are going to be needed in the future uh, and then allow those to gestate for a little while so that when you need them, you don't have to do all of this quick setup and have it feel like everything's conveniently falling into place. The whole world has been setting up for the stories that you'll need down the track. So yeah, I try to, I try to plan ahead, I guess is the short, the short answer. From a planning perspective, when we talk about normal or well, Kickstarters in general, right? Most, most people are going to be, are, are that I've interviewed in the past have just done single books and that's pretty, you know, when you, when you ask them how far ahead do they plan and when, and how much writing do they get done? You know, sometimes they'll have the first couple of books done, but when it comes to like a whole graphic novel, like how much of it do you have written? Like, I guess my question is, is the whole thing like written already for book two before you guys know you're going to get funding or is it like partially written and partially storyboarded? So like, if it doesn't like you haven't put your full all into it, because I mean, you guys are taking a big risk, right? It's a, it's a, it's a higher, um, it's a higher monetary investment with a lot of people in a short period of time, which we're all backing, right? I've, I've definitely picked up two copies, one for my local library and one for my personal collection and for my daughter, but, um, and it, you know, want it, want to push this out. Cause I, I firmly believe in it, but like thinking about that, just monetary investment, like how far, uh, ahead and how much writing do you do and kind of what can you talk a little bit about like what that planning process is like and what what you guys are talking uh, of talking through as as a creative team on it because I, I i can only imagine like how complex it could be or it is yeah well i mean like uh writing is easier than art i think uh is not a super controversial statement um so for me most of the scripting is done on book two there are a few bits I probably want to go back and tweak a little bit. Um, but even before that, I had an outline completed. And my outlines are very, very detailed. Um, they'll often even have, like, full dialogue for scenes. Um, they're not necessarily like, broken down into panels, but it, it, I always want my final outlines to be in a stage where Erica can read through it and have an idea of exactly what she's going to be doing. Um, even if it's not fully scripted. So she can ask me any questions. We make any adjustments and things like that. So on my end, basically all of the work is done, uh, which I can do because it is less of a time commitment for me, at least the scripting part, running Kickstarter is <laughs> another, another thing. But um, so if we don't happen to make our goal, yes, that would be heartbreaking for many reasons, but um, it wouldn't be financially ruinous. Whereas that is the case for both Erica and Nigel. So Erica has done, I think maybe like 10, 15 pages. And I think she wanted to keep doing more, but we sort of had to say like, just wait, make sure that we're funded because we don't want you to do all of this work for nothing. So uh, yeah, that, that, that's how it was on the last one as well. Pretty much all written. Um, and then all the art stuff, the, you know, Erica's work, I go on colors, the lettering, the production of the back matter, all of that comes after if we're funded. So I'm kind of the only one who front loads the, the work on this stuff. Yeah. Um, just kudos to Igor as well. Um, I'm, I'm looking through the preview pages that you guys put up on the Kickstarter and there's that one panel where, uh, Cassia is talking with, um, Oh geez. I'm, I'm so invested in everything we're talking about here. I'm forgetting people's names. Um, actually, <laughs> Yes. Pages? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and there's just this warm purple and pink and uh, like orange color in the background. And I, I mentioned this like almost every opportunity I can, but it, it reminds me a little bit of that moment in a goofy movie where Roxanne sees Max on TV during the eye to eye sequence where just like everything else washes out behind her. And all she's feeling is that like emotion of seeing Max on TV and like, this moment where they're just looking at each other and everything else washes behind them. It's just beautiful coloring, beautiful art by Erica and just, it all blends so perfectly. Yeah. He he's incredible and such an important part of the storytelling of the book. I think that's one of the, the great things about being able to continue in a series as well is now I could write to that. Um, I didn't know just what he could do the first time around, but now I know I can write a panel and 
I can strip back some of what I'm doing because I know that Erica's going to sell it and he's going to sell it. And I also have pretty good guesses in the ways in which he's going to sell it so I could help set him up. Even things like action scenes, like the thing that Igor does where these like moments of peak action or like impact, he inverts the colors and it's like this intense flash. I'm like, it's just, it's so cool. And, and now I'm like, well, I'm going to set that up wherever I can, you know, like I want to make sure that I'm um, giving these guys the best tea up wherever possible. So yeah. yeah the, the character was Harriet, by the way, I'm sorry. I'm not Janine. Um, Janine oh yes. The, the, the mentor figure. Things, yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. So uh, another thing, looking through the uh, the preview pages, we see that the entropy creatures are still running amok, and we it mm-hmm. looks like we still see that uh, remnants of the dome that we we saw at the the middle part of book one. Yeah. Um, so, can you speak a little bit to the to the conflict of the story? Because uh, if yeah. memory serves, the the entropy creatures were kind of controlled by the main villain of book one. Uh, so, without a master, what what's happening with those creatures? Yeah, so uh, the main villain of book one was, at, at least at the time, the kind of figurehead of the the cult within the city. Um, but they all serve a greater master um, who exists out there. Um, so he, you know, is forever present. Uh, but in the absence of the villain from book one, the Griffin, there's a bit of a power vacuum within the organization and there's going to be some disagreements about how to proceed because they're all kind of cut off from their master within this dome. He's out there and he desperately wants to get in. Um, And what they need to do is get this shield down and let him in so he can consume the city. Um, So there's all of that going on, but also they'll discover early on in book one that the shield that is protecting the city uh, is not doing so well and is a little on the fritz. And that is a terrifying problem in and of itself, because that's the only thing protecting everyone in the city. So there's going to be a conflict on a few different fronts. There's going to be some logistical problems overcome. There's going to be some new people, on the rise in the city who are going to take advantage of the power vacuum. There's going to be some third parties who don't necessarily have an allegiance either way, but are going to get pulled into things. Uh, And we may even learn a little bit more about the big guy himself, the one behind it all and um, what he intends and how he intends to go about things. That was going to be my next question was how much is book two going to give us uh, more information on the big bad and uh, mm-hmm. uh, especially the 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 Griffin power is. I'm wondering yeah. if is that going to be. Uh, I guess I can't even ask. I want to know if that's. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm. You can ask. I may not answer, but you can ask. Is the Griffin power transferable like Inferno Red was? Excellent question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I keep I keep wanting to ask things that I want to know the answer to, but also I don't want to ruin the second book. So I keep having to like cut myself, <laughs> cut myself off. Totally. I think, I think that's an excellent question. And I think that's a question that a few people within the story have as well. Um, are those powers still up for grabs? Are they transferable? And if so, to anyone, and, um, how, why, and how, how do we make that happen? And are there more? <laughs> so many questions. Are there more? Yeah. <laughs> All good questions. Great questions, John. Just we can't get answers oh, from. Him. I know. <laughs> Why would you need the book then? I, I could hit obtusely if that is that. If that's fine. <laughs> no, you don't have. Uh, don't do that. I, I then I'll then I'll be upset that I got the spoilers ahead of time. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things that uh, that I noticed in the cover art. So first of all, the whole legacy, the Inferno Girl legacy, uh, three character set that's there. Um, Love it. Is that, I was going to bring that up. Is yeah. that the amulet? on two of them is on is on one side so inferno girl and i think you know her uh, the previous inferno girl you know it's on the the right hand side but then on mm-hmm. the one in the way back it's on the left hand side so i'm almost thinking and i'm probably i always think way too into it i wonder like what happens if she switches hands like is there different power sets that get unlocked um is you know i know in previous conversations, you talked about the whole concept of hope, 
you know, there's that superhero trope of everybody loses their powers. So, you know, my, my first inclination is like, shit's going to hit the fan real, real hard in book two. She's going to potentially lose her powers with some superhero trope. And then she's going to have to fight to get it back. And in doing so, and um, I'm going to, I'm going to throw this out here as a, as a completely like wild theory and you don't have to answer it, but And in doing all of that and kind of coming back, like the team is then formed as a result of that in, in some type of like legacy vision, kind of like, I don't know, we, we, in, in, in like, uh, Rogue Sun, I think about right. The, the soul stone where they all go back and they talk to each other, some, some, some form of that to bring hope back into the picture and then kind of a team's form. And I could see that being like a, a ridiculous, like, uh, battleground. And I, I can't wait to, to see like a hundred pages worth of, of battles just because the, the, there was such a huge sequence of, of events, but kind of, kind of going, uh, I'll, I'll dial it back a bit on the, I'll take my tinfoil hat off and uh, just, <laughs> just, just looking at, you know, is there, I guess a difference or can you talk about the difference in, in, you know, them wearing the ambulance on amulets on one hand versus the other? Is that, does that mean anything? That part, no, it's really personal preference. Um, although in Cassie's case, she didn't really make a conscious decision. It kind of like just jumped on and she was stuck with it. Um, but yeah, we don't make a left hand, right hand distinction. I think a lot of it too, is just like some people are left-handed and some people are right-handed, you know, and we want to, uh, make the, the, uh, grand history of, uh, Inferno Girls Red inclusive. So if you're left-handed, don't worry. It won't feel weird. It won't be on the right hand. You'll get it on your, on the right wrist. Although we all know that people that are left-handed are witches. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, although you'll be all the more powerful uh, with the bracelet on your left hand in that case. One of the best shirts I've ever seen is, uh, so I, someone at uh, a church of mine that I grew up in, he, he was left-handed. He had a shirt that just said, um, everyone's born right-handed, only the gifted overcome it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Amazing. Now, I really like how uh, in the Inferno Girl universe, she's getting set up with sort of a, a logistical uh, section. Uh, she's got her, she got Harriet and she's got, uh, I don't remember what her name was, but she immediately was like, Lillian? Yes. She immediately was like, yeah. so she's Inferno Girl, right? And I thought it was really yeah. funny because <laughs> it was, it's, I, I always feel like in comic books, they they're so blatantly obvious when they're asking people questions. Like why would a normal person need to know that information? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I really like how they got uh, like intelligent people that they're going to obviously have to use in the future to figure things out and solve things, especially with her mom being gone. Uh, Absolutely. That's a, a huge part of book two is Cassia's only support network kind of like literally vanished into thin air. Um, so in book two, as all of this other stuff is going on and everything's crumbling around her, she's going to need to assemble, uh, the team that she'll need in the future and figure out how they're going to operate and what role everyone plays and where they operate from even, um, and sort of like establish in some ways her status quo, at least as best as she can while everything else is kind of blowing up. Yeah. I, uh, the way that she kind of began and immediately had a support system that then crumbled. Now she's got to, I have to rebuild her support system. I feel like that's going to, that's going to cover more. I think that's going to be more in play than, uh, like Marty was saying about the superhero trope where she loses her powers and stuff like that. I feel like the fact that she's starting from the beginning, that that's not going to be so much of an issue down the line. I don't think that's going to, that's going to pop up as much because right now it seems like she's got enough personal issues, especially just learning how to use her powers that losing them isn't going to be something that is a big focus. Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't say too much either way, but yeah, I definitely think that, um, yeah, how her relationships with other people has always been a challenge for Cassia and, as she tries to lead this new group of people, she's going to have a lot to work through in that space. Um, even her new mentor is as experienced as her new mentor is, um, isn't great with people either. And 
isn't used to working with others and that's probably going to cause some friction as well. Yeah. I'm excited to, I'm excited to see how that, that all pans out. That's good. I'm glad (laughs) it's working. (laughs) I, uh, Josh, uh, here actually sent me the comic, uh, the comic to read because I hadn't gotten a chance to even look into it at all. I'm, I'm really big on comics. So I was excited to start a whole new universe to delve into do a nice little deep dive. Yeah, I'm glad. That's really my hope is I like with book one, I really wanted to give people a whole big universe that they had so many questions about and um, felt like they could just fall into something new and have that feeling of discovering like a big, you know, like fantasy world, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, I, you know, my, dream version of all of this is like we do a big map that you put in the front page you get to like see where everything is in the world because i love that sense of just um it's starting a new fictional world and having to learn all the places and how all the rules work and how everything interacts um so yeah we definitely want to do our own version of that sort of thing with this so taking it back kind of a little bit in a different direction here because we've been trying to, we've been pestering you with potential spoilers. <laughs> have, have you attempted to play hold ball yet? I haven't, no. only because the logistical requirements of that court are so extreme. Um, <laughs> but I would be lying if I didn't think about it very regularly. Um, I think that the number one reason to support Infernal Girl Red is to go to our Kickstarter and grab the hardcover and book one if you haven't read in photo already yet we have book one hardcover digitally come and support us so we've become massive and absolutely huge and one day we have enough money to build a real whole ball court that's kind of the end game of all of this for me because i just want to do it and i cannot afford it (laughs) unless this becomes absolutely huge and i'm rich so um do that you can all come around We'll, we'll play some games I was going to, uh, my, my follow my next question was going to be about, have you decided on a new sport to introduce in this book, uh, to coincide with hold ball, or is there going to be a bigger role for hold ball in the sequel? Uh, I'd never cheat on hold ball. Uh, hold ball is <laughs> my, my one and only my one true. Um, there is it, uh, very much hold ball in book two, unfortunately, but I promise that Hobble is very omnipresent on my mind. And, you know, if we are privileged enough to continue the Infernal Red story, you certainly won't have seen the last of Hobble. So book three is going to be primarily about hold ball and all of the battles will be on the hold ball court. Yeah. I mean, I, really the main focus will be in our, in all hold ball spinoff book, um, which will be like it, like, you know, like there's like sports manga. It'll just be that for hold ball. Going into, like, say, you know, this is successful, I could easily see the same thing happening again where we get, you know, all of the, we split it into three sections or or whatever you guys decide where we get all the cool variants and from the artists uh, because, I mean, God, those are beautiful and they need to be covers and I want them all and I want to put them on my massive verse wall um, selfishly instead of just the <laughs> prints because the books just, they just feel so much better Agreed. in your hands. Um, but, you know, thinking forward to potentially of a, of a book three, are you guys still going to keep the same kind of like, I know, you know, we talked last time and, and you mentioned you kind of want to keep it to this longer format. Has there ever been a discussion about going month to month and doing smaller issues to, um, you know, to, to give people more little, little chunks, you know, uh, faster, I guess, in, in a way that image does it. There have been like the briefest of discussions, but never with any sort of real seriousness to it. Um, we're pretty committed, I think, to the graphic novel format. As difficult as it is, like, financially, um, it just produces the book in the way that we want it. Um, I think that a graphic novel, written to be a graphic novel, reads differently to a trade, um, which, again, like, isn't a value judgment either way. I love that as well. But um, this is, we just this has always been a series of novels in our head, um, and we'd really prefer to be able to continue it that way. I think even if we did go 
monthly, we wouldn't really be able to keep the schedule because of the amount of work that Erica and, and uh, Igor put in. Um, and I really want, wouldn't want to compromise that in any way. So yeah, it's probably not like the soundest financial decision in the world, but I definitely want to keep doing it this way if we can, because it um, isn't, you know, it would be better for us. And I'm sure people in the short term would prefer more regular on the stands content. Um, but these things are designed for perpetuity, you know, like we want to have great novels that read in a really satisfying way and can sit on the shelf for years and years and years and not just be like disposable material. Um, so yeah, I think we're, we're going to try and keep it this way. I think as, as best we can. I love the graphic novel versus getting the single issues because as you can probably tell by my questions, I, uh, I, I hate reading an issue and then like being like, well, what's happening next week? Because <laughs> yeah. It gets in my brain and that's all I can think about for the whole week. So I don't Absolutely. typically, I don't even, I don't even buy the single issues because it's kind of like when I'm watching a TV show, I want to, I want to sit down and be able to binge watch it. I can't, the, the whole waiting thing just doesn't, isn't part of my personality, I guess. So 100%. I, yeah, yeah. I, I really like the graphic novel option. Yeah, I mean, I've always, like, preferred reading trades or, or graphic novels myself. Um, even just from, like, a reading experience perspective, I think I prefer them. But, you know, different people have different preferences, and I totally respect that. Um, but yeah, for, for us, it's just more about, like, the the way we can tell the story. And I think one of the reasons people have been responding to the book so much is that they can feel the difference in that, like, we can spend long scenes with just the characters um you know spending time with each other and when we do action scenes conversely we can do like a 20 page one scene action um sequence that in a single issue comic would be the, like a whole issue of a comic so you probably couldn't do that whereas here it's like you know we've got the space we can tell the story the way we want to do it um and that's a freedom that is really important to us as, as we move forward yeah, I think that's I think that's really awesome to hear because I mean, you can build emotion on so many different levels, both, you know, with the colors, with the art, with the storytelling, with the, even the letters in in a longer format and it, it just it's such a bigger payoff. Like I I like I think about when I and I got into comics, you know, late real late, like maybe 4 years ago at this point and the first book that I read was Invincible and I bought Compendium 1. And then I read through Compendium 1 and I was like, holy crap, like, it's just like, so overwhelming of emotions. And it just like it, that's kind of, that's kind of what I like, I, I'm glad you said that as much as it is financially uh, rocky, it keeps it, it like this, like, and I'm showing this, you know, the, the hardcover, like, it, it's just such a quality product, like the pages, the art, like. I can just open it up and admire like the art at the, at the end of the book. And like, just those, just those panels are, are just incredible. Like, um, and it's, and, and it keeps well, like, I don't have to worry about bagging and boarding, rebagging and boarding. Oh, I got to put this in a top loader. Like it's going to sit on my shelf nicely. It's going to be there and it's going to last a long time. So like, I don't mind spending a couple extra bucks to, to have it in that, in that format. Yeah. And I think for, for us, like that's a big part of the, responsibility being an image right like we have the freedom to do anything which to me means that anything that we do should be as great as it possibly can be because we have no excuses like we can't be like oh well editorial said we had to do this or like you know the budget came back and you know we had to ha use really shitty printing printing stock or whatever um and that in like is infused in every part of it like the, the hardcover, the printing, we wanted that to be really high quality, but like the design work, like we wanted it to, to look absolutely gorgeous, both inside and out. Um, so yeah, this process allows us that, you know, assuming that we get funded, which is certainly a <laughs> question at this point, but if we can keep this up, we would like to, yeah. Um, so going back to your process with dealing with the going on with the sequel, which you said you had kind of mapped a lot of this out already. Yeah. Um, I do remember going back to 2015 when Avengers age of Ultron was coming out. Joss Whedon was talking about like, what do you do in a sequel from a, a 
two billion dollar movie you you make it a little bit more personal you uh you try to find a way to create a different kind of conflict because no one's going to want to see the same story over again essentially so you, yeah. you try and break down the person uh, or you at least um do like an introspection on the the personality and what drives them and i don't know that he necessarily hit the mark with age of ultron mm -hmm. um but uh can you talk to like how you approach the sequel as far as like what takes priority or at least how much more you wanted to focus on everyone's uh, personal status and not just like upping the ante on the superhero nonsense for ant or antics for lack of a better word. Totally. Yeah. I mean, for me, it really just comes back to Cassie's journey. Um, like it is a book about the power of belief, but also the danger of belief and I think that by the end of book one, Cassia had realized how much power that she has, but also by the, like the, the consequences of book one was forced to reckon with the fact that even if she does believe in herself and sort of is able to harness all of her power, things can still go tragically wrong and you can still be in a position where you can't make perfect decisions and make everyone happy and, and save everybody. Uh, so it's, and I think this is continuing to be the case. It's just about Cassia's continual evolution and, and her trying to navigate. How do you be a hero? How do you embrace your own power, but how do you do that without being lost in it? Like, how do you not lose yourself to self delusion? How do you not lose yourself to like ego and, uh, like power tripping, um, and how do you do all of that while still maintaining the relationships with the people around you who you need to be able to succeed? Um, and then sort of once, you know, I've had a good understanding of where Cassia was at as a person, then you start finding ways to challenge that and try, like, try and trip her up, like give her the hurdles that are going to cause her the most trouble but also give her the best opportunities to evolve in different ways. And then that's, you know, that's all very conceptual. So then you start to turn those things into more tangible objects or characters. And then those things take on a life of their own and you get interested in those. You're like, well, if this person is serving this role in Cassie's growth journey, that means they're this sort of person, but that's fascinating. What implications does that have? And let's chase that down a little bit and, how will that person interact with someone else? And um, yeah, to me, it's, I always get to a point where I'm cutting stuff out. I'm, I'm not like, Oh, what am I going to do this time? I'm like, Oh man, we could go in so many different directions and I have so much more I want to tell, but how do I make sure that I don't lose the thread and this, we're still, um, you know, focusing on the core story here uh, as much as there might be lots of cool stuff around it. So that, that actually raised a really interesting question in my head as you were talking about that. Um, so with the way Cassia's powers work based on like her belief in herself, yeah. how would something like overconfidence impact her power set and, or her ability to utilize her powers? That's an excellent question uh, and definitely something we'll be exploring. Um, and also some variants on that idea as well. Like the ultimate form of self-belief is believing that, you know, you're a god and the universe rat revolves around you, um, which obviously mm. isn't healthy um, and isn't going to lead to the best results. But you can also understand how, like, given what Cassia experienced in the first book and kind of the lessons that she was taught, you roll that out to its logical conclusion and you're like, oh, yeah, I should just believe I can do anything and should be able to do anything. Um, I'm the main character of the universe and um, – <laughs> Obviously, that's gonna <laughs> that's gonna cause some complications as well. So I don't think Cassie is like is so big headed that she's at at risk of that sort of explicit, um, you know, ego turn. But when you're dealing with catastrophic loss and you're trying to tell yourself a story that keeps you sane and, and tells you that everything's gonna be okay and this is all happening for a reason, you can start to distort your own reality a bit. And that's yeah, that's gonna come into play a little bit as we go forward. Yeah, it sounds kind of like you're describing to go back to the Spider-Man allegory. It sounds kind of like you're you're inversing the Spider-Man no more where Peter decides he's just going to be Spider-Man. Life is fine when he's just Spider-Man. Nothing else happens. So like I could see that being a rabbit hole Cassia could fall down if if 
life is too complicated. Being Infernal Girl is the more impressive thing anyway. So why not just continue to do that? Exactly. And like we are really big on taking superhero tropes and um, inverting them at least where appropriate. Like rather than dragging out secret identity thing, having people figure it out quite quickly is, you know, an example you guys put up earlier. And I think one of the big tropes of YA fiction more generally is the idea of like the chosen one or like the, the destined person. And I think that's something that Cassius certainly could be feeling at this point, but it's an idea that I personally believe is pretty toxic. So we're going to be sort of examining like where Cassia feels like she fits into all of that. And um, how do you deal with it when you, you come to realize like maybe everybody has potential and it's not just you and you're not an extra special main character. You're just a person. Uh, Does that take away this feeling of power that you sort of worked so hard to cultivate before? I guess even kind of thinking uh, in the same vein there with, you know, the amulet that she wears, is it just an amulet or does it, can it feel or can it think or can it sense in some capabilities? Like is, is what she's doing positive or negatively going to affect her? And then it either discharges or it doesn't, you know what I mean? It's, it's a little bit leveraging more of that. And like, I think about, um, you know, that, that, that would be a pretty cool thing to explore if that was the case. Um, cause that would completely drastically, you know, change things. And then she would have to, I would, I would, I would love to learn more about the amulet and where it came from. And hopefully that's something that that's explored in the second book as we learn more about the history of, of Inferno Girl Red. Yeah. I mean, well, Cassie certainly has a connection to a lot of people who have been through all of this before. Um, and the nature of that connection is something that we're going to explore and, and how useful or not it is is something that we're going to explore as well. But she has both in her life now, a person who has been through all of this and had different experiences and took different things out of it, but can speak to it in some ways, but also there's this grander legacy that she's connected to through the amulet that we, we may, yeah, learn a little bit more about. Kind of, a just a, a side question, um, I know in the five-issue mini of Radiant Pink, we got a little taste of Apex City kind of <laughs> when they were portaling in random spots. So uh, in thinking about, like, I'll bring back up Invincible just because it was talked about and Spider-Man was talked about where Spider-Man kind of showed up in the Invincible world. Is there a possibility of potentially seeing other Massiverse characters, some you know, just randomly potentially poking their heads in or showing up in, in book two, or is that, has that ever been thought about as part of the storytelling? Um, not a super massive book, but just like, you know, kind of one person dropping in. Yeah. It's something that we talk about from time to time. We're, we're so keen on making sure that you don't have to read any other books if you don't want to. Um, like, I think like that example for Radiant Pink, she was popping around from place to place and if you've read Infernal Girl Red, you're like, oh, shit, that's Apex City. If you haven't, it's just another moment of like, oh, that's somewhere else. That's the wrong place. Let me keep going. Um, so that's the sort of thing that can make it work. It's a little more difficult for Apex because Apex is kind of out on its own floating in the ether. Um, it's not like you pop over to the next town to grab a, you know, grab some milk and you happen to bump into Infernal Girl Red. It uh, has to be a little bit more intentional. Um so th- th- I think I could say, like, there's not going to be any big explicit crossovers in book two itself. Um, but, yeah, they're conversations that we have, stuff that we think about. Um, and she's part of the Massiverse, and that's always that's going to continue to be true. And I guess, as I said before, like, by the end of book two, you're going to have a much more explicit idea of how uh, Cassie's story fits into the story of the Massiverse and how that all relates to, you know, everything else. So... Hopefully it'll feel a little bit more connected by then. Continuing on with the idea of crossovers, um, we're going to veer a little bit away from the Kickstarter for just a moment. Uh, yeah. In Supermassive 2023, we did get an Inferno Girl show up in this crossover as well, yeah. uh, which she, there was never an Inferno Girl that was shown in like the marketing materials or on the cover, really. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so that was a, a really nice surprise. Uh, can you talk about what the process was of building that surprise into Supermassive 2023? Yeah, I, it was really just as we were talking about the story. Um, well, I, I guess probably the first thing to say is that we knew that we didn't want to have Cassia in this one just because, as we discussed, Cassia's not really up to even the first Supermassive in the timeline yet, and we didn't want to sort of like further extend that that dissonance. So we knew Cassie wasn't going to be in it. Uh, but then as we talked more about the story and the potential of it, um, we knew we wanted to explore that sort of medieval period because the current rogue son, um, Caleb, has some connections to that time quite explicitly. And it just seemed like a fun idea. And as we got more into it, I was like, well, there's no reason there can't be an Inferno girl there. Um, because we know that the... In the gauntlet is multiversal. It's not just Cassie's universe. It's all throughout the multiverse. It goes where it's needed. And it has existed since time of memoriam. So, yeah, why not? And then the next question was like, oh, do we just put her on the cover? Or is it more interesting as a surprise? And we settled on it being more interesting as a surprise because we like to have surprises in the Supermassive. We want it to feel like, you know, you're not just going to pick it up and know everything that's coming but oh yeah that was fine that's why i thought it would be put it down again we want to try and you know shock you in some ways so it that became a nice natural way of doing that um and also it's just fun like it it's what another one of those things that maybe wasn't financially the smartest thing to do maybe it would have been better for us to be like if i got reds in it by by the book but for the people who got to have that experience organically and turn the page and have that big reveal moment like that that makes it worth it for me that's the sort of stuff that we can do because we aren't solely focused on financial considerations. You know, I can't help but feel that in other publishers, there's a chance that that would have been leaked to a bleeding cool or something like that. And like, you know, air quote leaked um, so that pre-order numbers would be higher from retails and things like that. Whereas we can be like, no, we're just going to, we're just going to do it. People are going to have the experience um, regardless of the consequences for us. Yeah, I, I love that surprise. It was it was fantastic. I, I was one of those people. My eyes bugged out. It's like, oh, no way. <laughs> That's great. I, I think it means more now if you've in, been caught up with Rogue Sun because, I mean, and I may be way out in left field, but I, I feel like that's inside the Sunstone, which to me is like the two stones are talking to each other in some way, shape, or form. And you could potentially play off of that uh, on a multitude of different levels, which means that they're somehow connected, which is pretty freaking cool. And my mind's just like exploding of like where, where like you could tell a ton of cool story. And like, so can we go inside the amulet? Like, are, are we going to like see the, you know, the past Inferno girl red people from there? Like do the, you know, both, both Inferno Girl Red pass and like Rogue Sun pass, do they talk to each other? Like, are they somehow connected in some way, shape, or form? So, like, there's just a lot of possibilities because of the end of that. And now, what we know about Rogue Sun, um, unless I'm way wrong, but like that, like that to me looks a lot like Inside the Sunstone that we've been exploring these last three issues of the Rogue Sun arc. So, it's, it's just super, super cool. Hashtag yeah. Inside the Infernoverse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean there's um there are certainly similarities there and I think that regardless of how explicit the like mystical connection is, we now know that at least one Infernal Girl Red and one Rogue Sun uh and, and, and one Spawn uh all knew each other. Um <laughs> That's right. and had a had a relationship and you know what what was the nature of that? How long did that relationship extend? Um all excellent questions. All right. Uh, so I, I'm out of questions. John, do you have anything else? He's on mute. Marty, how about Sorry. you? Any other follow-up questions? <laughs> I was I was talking and I didn't realize. I was like, oh, they're just talking over me. I guess I'm just, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> nope, you're just. <laughs> no, I was, I was saying, you'll have to excuse me being a little bit uh, quieter. Uh, Josh gave me this comic to prepare for this. And I haven't got into the rest of the universe yet. So I've just been writing down titles I need to read to 
to get all spun up. <laughs> well, you've been reading Radiant Black. I got you on Radiant Black That's pretty true. quick. I was just like, you got to get on this. And uh, I mean, Rogue Sun is another one I've been recommending, but you and Matt and everyone are like, oh, my money. <laughs> <laughs> it's a completely fair response. I disagree. Can't, you can't <laughs> take it with you. <laughs> exactly. If you enjoy it, go for it. But I can't read comics if the lights aren't on. Is the problem? <laughs> I mean, it depends uh, on the weather. I, I guess. I could get candles. I mean, <laughs> you can you can read them on an iPad. I read a lot of my stuff digitally because I can't I co- and collect what I want to collect, and then you have a backlit screen, so you know, <laughs> there's that. I've, yeah, I've been doing. I, I do a lot of mine on on digitally now. My wife has suggested it might be uh, worth more than my life if I keep bringing home comic books and having to find new places to store them. Apparently three bookshelves is too many comic books for, <laughs> for, for a 37 year old, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I'm in the same boat. My wife told me I'm not allowed to put any more comics on the wall. I have to now swap them out. So <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you can't take up any more room in the, in, in the kid's room slash your office slash whatever. It's not all your rooms. Like, oh, but sweetie, on. there's a new Kickstarter with new I know. prints. <laughs> I know. I know. See, this is, yeah. I have a I have a problem, but it's a it's a very good one. At least it you know at least uh, there could be a lot of worse things I've spent money on. Absolutely. Um, Facts. Anyways, going back to your Kickstarter, I just really want to like like praise you guys on the rewards that you're doing this time, which I thought was really cool. Like even now I don't have five thousand dollars to drop, but five grand to be in like all of the mat like just to be able to be drawn in all of the Massiverse and or even just in inferno girl red is super super cool like that that's a really cool idea i mean i feel like you know last time you guys had the the helmets which i see on video behind you there yep. which was it's not jealous not, not jealous at all about that no see and and see that would have been perfect if i backed the first one and got that then i would have had like the hardest part of the costume done now i gotta make something out of cardboard <laughs> that's for true. my daughter you know it's just like uh you know, but anyways, you know, I, I just want to praise you guys on kind of pushing the needle there and and just coming up with really cool things like even even with that podcast that, you know, for an extra five bucks or whatever it is, you you guys can listen into the creative process, which I know is one of the things that I'm always interested in hearing people's takes on, because it's really it's really cool to see how people formulate ideas and, and work together collectively, especially with you guys being spread out across the across the globe. Um, so I'm, you know, that's, that's a, that's a challenge too. So, you know, I would say if you haven't, if for those that are listening to this podcast, you guys definitely need to check it out, check out the Kickstarter and, and, you know, some of the reward tiers are really cool. That pin is awesome for, you know, for a small little add on, like that's super cool. And that doesn't it's take gorgeous, up a lot of it? space. Kelly did. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. The, the podcast that we're doing actually a really nice full circle moment, uh, because, Michael, who's assistant editing Infernal Girl Red and edits all the other Massiverse books. Uh, and I actually met Kyle through our Parents podcast and doing behind the scenes, like writer's commentary for each issue of Parents while he was on it. Um, and it was through that that we sort of got pulled into the world of comics and all of this happened for me. So we're going to be sort of reuniting to be doing that, but for our book, um, for people who who add that to their their reward pledges i think that'd be really, really cool um but yeah and on the pins actually the, kelly mcmahon who designed those pins i'm going to be working with again very soon because she's doing her own kickstarter um for playing cards um the campaign is called bad blood and she does really gorgeous playing cards um and has done a set before this time it's going to be like art deco roaring 20s a little noir themed um and she asked me to write a murder mystery that's going to come with the cards so if you uh, it'll come with like a little like detective's journal and by reading through that and also looking at the card art you'll be able to solve a murder um and what i really dig about that is that once you've done that you're going to understand who all of these like gorgeous characters on the card art are so whenever you're playing like poker or um, you know, whatever card games you like to play rather than just being like, oh, this is nice card art. You're like, oh, I know this character. I know how they relate to these people. And like, it will fill the, like this picture of the world for you. So um, 
Oh, and we're also going to be doing a crossover reward. So if you back Infogo Red at a physical level and also back Bad Blood, you'll get a holographic IGR print by Kelly, um, which is very cool. So make sure you check that out. I was going to thank you for reminding me because I was, I showed um, my wife, Ricky, the, the game, and we always like board games and card games and stuff. And now that there's a crossover promotion, like, Oh, I'm, I'm going to tell her I'm, I'm backing, with, I'm going to be backing both of these. So absolutely. Uh, that, yeah, that's definitely a, a thing. But uh, yeah, I was going to compliment you guys on this as well. Cause uh, the, the add-ons are just super cool. You can get a, a an additional copy of Inferno Girl book one. If you didn't get that, mm-hmm. um, you can get the pin, the commentary, which uh, that's amazingly interesting. Cause um among other things, hearing from Erica and her process and Igor and just hearing from the the people behind the art and the coloring and everything, you don't hear much from them. So Absolutely. Uh, getting to hear from them is, is something that is extraordinarily interesting to me. So uh, I, I will gladly pay five bucks to, to hear a little bit of that part of the process as well. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're excited to be able to share. I think that's one of the cool things about Hicksa, right? It's like, yeah, we're going to do this cool comic, but we can open up all of these different facets to people and bring them to the process and show them behind the scenes material. And even if it's being made, like you get to experience that firsthand. Like we do pretty regular updates and you get to see what pages are being worked on and, you know, what trials and tribulations we're facing to overcome things. You really get the the feeling of like, you are part of the process of making the book, which you absolutely are. Like we can't do it without support and won't be able to do it without support so yeah please please come check out the campaign see if it's for you oh i just uh pledged the kickstarter so i need to i i need a a play-by-play for book two just in an email form would be be great (laughs) and then i'll absolutely that way i can see the art i'll I'll send you the outline perfect perfect (laughs) no it looks like you guys are doing really well on there though let's let's get you're about two thirds of the way there after uh 16 days four or five days yeah, I, I looking at projections, I, it seems like we're kind of still on the bubble. Like things could go either way. So we're we're hustling. We're hustling to try and get us get us over the line. Well, if you, the listener, have not backed this project yet, there's a, a fancy little link where it says Inferno Girl Red Book 2. You can click that link and it'll take you straight to the Kickstarter page and you can back it. Donate a dollar. Uh, you just help support a great project. You can also get uh, a few more things, including a digital copy at 15 bucks. So not a lot of money and you don't have to worry about shipping on the $15 tier. So why not just spend 15 bucks and help make this wonderful project a, a reality? Or you can not be scared of your wife and just pay the $40 <laughs> so you can get the hardcovers. That too. Uh, Josh, I'm going to have to come live with you. well i mean you see this shelf here it's warping because i've got so many comics on there and i've also got a shelf in my uh in my closet where my clothes are supposed to be that has all my variants that uh yeah (laughs) so i'm I'm, i think i'm getting close to your your situation with my wife i'll even add to um the nerd initiative is doing a giveaway through me for two of those um those small 10 page comics that we talked about earlier of the, uh, the ash can variants. I have three copies cause I bought three hardcovers, um, after the Kickstarter. So I'm going to give away two of them and keep one. So it's really easy to enter. We'll put a link in, uh, I'll send Josh a link on, on how to do that. And it's super simple. So it's really easy just to get on there and follow the Kickstarter and follow nerd initiative. And you have an entry. There you go. And because of how time works, that will also be in the episode description as you're listening to this. Oh, like magic. <laughs> <laughs> it just went in right now as you were listening. That's that's when it happened. Uh, do you have an amulet? You must have an amulet, don't you? Shh. Me. Ooh. <laughs> I, oh, I was... <laughs> uh, you know, that's we've um, you know, talking about cool things in the reward tiers. Eric and I all the time talk about like um, dream things that we want to have produced. Like obviously we've got the helmets done and that was amazing, but um, replica amulets with real jewels is definitely on the list. Um, and oh, wow. shoes inspired by Infertical Red shoes. 
are like that's that's one of our once you find your writers like take you over the world we want to get those made because we both really want those shoes <laughs> i was actually shoes would be sick looking at I, I think it's page three or four of the the preview pages i, I was like man those shoes are slick and i mean yep. they just did some miles morales shoes for across the spider-verse so why not some igr shoes yeah i mean we're i'm sure we're almost at that level any day <laughs> absolutely uh, miles yeah, morales igr right there yeah basically the same i think <laughs> well matt uh i think we are at our we're, we're over our hours so um for a bonus episode this has been fantastic and uh, we're going to continue massive month next week we're talking to melissa flores we oh, are yeah. hoping that ryan parrot will be joining us I, i'm reaching out to him uh if we haven't heard back from him at time of recording but kyle higgins he's, is on board uh, very very like even by ryan's standards is phenomenally pulled in all the different directions right now so I'm oh i'm, I'm sure if, and yeah it, it, it's just extraordinarily ryan. appreciative uh for me and obviously john and marty I, i'm sure i can speak for them that you guys are t- even taking the time to answer emails let alone be on a podcast for an hour oh no like we love it it's fun it's been a really great experience. I appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah, I always have a good time chatting and very much appreciate the opportunity to promote the book. You know, being independent, this is the only way we can get the word out. So um, it does us a world of good to be able to talk about the projects we're working on and hopefully garner a bit more support. So I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And uh, again, you, your time is appreciated. Uh, Matt, you've Feel free to share your socials and again, uh, promote the Kickstarter one last time. Yeah, absolutely. So I am on the site I will forever call Twitter. I am at Matthew Groom. That's one T in Matthew, G-R-O-O-M on one word. And if you want to get to the Kickstarter as easy as possible, um, besides clicking that handy button in the episode description, uh, you can go to infernogorred.com which is currently redirecting to our Kickstarter campaign. So nice, nice and easy, all one word, infernogorred.com. Marty, you want to share your socials? Uh, sure. So I'm also on the Twitter, whatever it is called now, because it changes on a daily basis, at Marty Stoked. Um, you could find me writing reviews for comics at Nerd Initiative and sometimes podcasting at Panel to Panel Pod. Um, all those things are on Twitter. John, thank you so much for taking the time to be here and thank you for doing the homework assignment uh, reading Infernal Girl Red. I know it was real difficult, but at least you made it through, right? Listen, next time, just just tell me to read the whole universe so I can keep up with you guys. <laughs> I felt I felt like I was the real weekend of the hosting section today. <laughs> we, you got a little bit of time before Melissa shows up. And uh, again, also, hopefully, Ryan, um, you got a little bit more reading to do with Rogue Son, but Perfect. I think you can do it. I'm in. But uh, and most importantly, thanks so much to everyone for listening. Because without you listening, projects like this will not get the the promotion it deserves. And I think it truly does. You can follow us at Talking Smack Pod on all social media platforms, including Lonnie's website, uh, Blue Sky, Instagram, Threads, Hive Social, YouTube. Uh, thank you to Beppo for our original avatars, Retro Studios for our Ricky avatar. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, email us at tsmackpod at gmail.com. But again, most importantly, thank you so much for listening and don't forget to back Infernal Go Red. We will see you next week as Massive Verse continues. 